welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Women of Colour Speak Out is a collective of four climate justice, racial justice, gender justice and intersectional movement activists that came together in 2015 in Seattle during the Shell No campaign. Those women formed Women of Colour Speak Out out of a desire to create a space for women of colour in the climate movement, which according to them is dominated by white cis men. In December 2015, they had a public meeting and I'm going to bring you two of those speeches on today's Accent of Women. On today's show, we feature the speeches of Sarah Tacola. She's a scientist, activist and policy changer. She works tirelessly on intersecting movements from Black Lives Matter and ending juvenile incarceration to fossil fuel divestment and just carbon policies. And the second speaker on today's show is Afrin Supariwara. She's an activist with Women of Colour Speak Out and her feature talk today is on global capitalism. So first up Sarah, then Afrin and then Sarah to close. First off, I want to say that we are standing here on stolen Duwamish land, and it's important that we don't forget that. Uh, and I'm going to talk about a little bit what we're going to talk about, um, climate change and systems of oppression. Um, and so we're going to talk about capitalism, colonialism, the prison industrial system, and how that relates to climate change. And within each of these, we're going to talk about racism. But we're not going to explicitly talk about racism, because with these systems of oppression, it's kind of like when you bake a cake. When you bake a cake with sugar, it would be easier to just remake the cake than to try to take the cake, to try, try to take the sugar out of that cake. And that is what happens when you try to take racism out of capitalism or colonialism or the prison industrial system or climate change. Racism is embedded. It's the ingredients that created this. Um, and so it's important for us to understand that. Um, so who are we? Um, uh, I guess the picture is a shark. But, um, so uh, we are women of color that all are climate activists. And we actually um, met each other during the Shell No activism. And the Shell No activism, uh, it was successful. Uh, we stopped them. Um, but it was also, as a woman of color, a difficult space to be in. Um, and a lot of the mainstream environmental groups don't really speak to us. And they don't, we don't feel like there was a place for us. So we actually decided to create this group to create a space for us, to create a space for the marginalized voices that are on the front lines of climate change. Um, so I keep bringing up climate change, so I'm going to go in a brief overview of, of what I'm talking about here. So climate change, uh, it really got started in the industrial era when we decided that um, this coal that was in the ground, these dead dinosaurs, that we could pull them outside of the ground and put them, um, burn them and create energy. And um, doing that, we were able uh, to consume and be better capitalists. Uh, and we found a lot of benefit to it, um, but it came at a much later time uh, that we started to realize 
the stuff that we we're burning and putting into the air actually had a problem. The problem was the greenhouse gas effect. And this pollution that went up in the air didn't just evaporate, but in fact, it stayed up in the air and it created this blanket over the earth, trapping the sunlight inside of it. And so now, with the um, sun rays trapped inside this blanket of pollution that we've created, now we're starting to see effects, not only warmer temperature, but that uh, atmospheric currents, more natural disasters happening. Now we're starting to see um, all of this pollution is going into our oceans and acidifying them and actually making uh, creatures dissolve in the acidic oceans. So uh, why is this important? So we've known about climate change for a little bit here, but um, we're starting to hit the tipping point, the tipping point of where we can keep on polluting before, where, when we can stop and we actually will see, be able to stop. Because with climate change, you have uh, positive feedback loops. And after we surpass that point, um, what will happen is we will be unable to stop it. And we are at that point this year. In fact, they said this year is the last chance as a world we have a, a chance to keep below two degrees of warming. And in the Paris climate talks, which I'll be at, um, we're actually going to, ha this will be the last chance where we have to make an, a, come to an agreement. We've met 21 times now and we've yet to come to agreement. And this is really the tipping point. And so it's very important what happens here, whether we decide whether we're going to make the world look like this or like this. This is at what's stake here. Um, so I'm also going to talk about climate justice. We are a climate justice um, group, and that, that gets thrown around a lot. And um, climate justice uh, is different than the regular climate work. Climate justice is led by those who are most impacted, led by frontline communities, communities of color. Um, and one of the main climate justice uh, pr principles is that we speak for ourselves. And so it's very important that, um, that mainstream environmental groups that want to do climate justice work don't try to speak for communities of color, but make room so that we can speak for ourselves because our needs are different. Even the threshold of two degrees of warming, or what I call where white people burn, is not a good target because that target after, at two degrees of warming, Africa's already burned up. There are entire islands that will be underwater, but guess who chose that target? Not, not the communities most impacted because if they did, that would not be where they chose to stop at. So um, now Afrin's gonna talk to you about capitalism. So the first system of oppression we're gonna tackle is Coca-Cola. No, I mean capitalism. <laughs> but this gives you a really good clue about what capitalism is like. For 130 years, Coca-Cola has said things like, um, choose happiness or it's the real thing but if you really look closely it is toxic and that's what capitalism is so a quick definition um, capitalism is an economic economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by a minority for, for profit and the majority of people sell their ability to work in return for a wage and so this already divides society in the capitalist class and the working class. Looking back at history, we have done trade for centuries, but it was only after the discovery of the new land that trade became a big business. And um, the Industrial Revolution allowed the capitalistic class to produce at a higher scale 
This is also when we started moving from hand production towards mass production um, and started to use coal. Allowing everyone to make profit allowed profiteers to amass wealth. Chasing profit meant they cut costs. They started exploiting, exploiting their workers, compromising safety, paying lower wages just for the profit line. And so we had slave labor, we had child labor, while the elitist class sat around in their powdered wigs. So you cannot have, um, you cannot have a capitalistic society without a rich and a poor. And while there's that division, and well, we measure success by growth, the rich are always gonna get richer and the poor are gonna get poorer. And so 200 years after the Industrial Revolution, we are now at a point where 1% of the world's population owns 99% of the wealth. This image shows the wealth distribution of the United States in 2012. And it's not just, it's not, it's not that we've abolished slavery. It is now in our prisons that we exploit our inmates. Um, prison labor accounts for $2 million of our economy. And Sarah is going to talk about that in much more detail. And sweatshops. We all, we've all heard stories of how people are exploited. And once again, these are people in the global south. These are people of color. Um, uh, and you know, we've heard about the toxic conditions in which they, are, in which they continue to be exploited just so that we can have cheap things to buy. So how did, how did we get embedded in the system? How did they get us to participate in the system? It really was very clever and cleverly designed. In 1955, after the Second World War, um, when the corporations and government were thinking about ways in which to grow our economy, um, a retail analyst called Victor Libau said, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, and replaced and discarded at an ever accelerating rate. And so if we start to look closely at the system, uh, this is the materials economy. This is the system that we are deeply embedded in. And at every stage, if you look closely, people are exploited right from extraction where natural resources are destroyed, um, people's way of life is taken away from them. And at, at the stages of production, distribution, people are exploited, the world is polluted. Um, and then we are made to imagine that we need to consume more and more. This is a linear system, and it's a system in crisis because a linear, we cannot exist on a linear system on a finite planet. And so we consume, and we consume twice as much as we did 50 years ago. We have, in the United States, 5% of the world's population, but we use 30% of the world's resources and make 30% of the waste. If everybody on the planet consumed at the, at the rate at which we do, we would need three to five planets to sustain this way of life. And we are exporting this vision of the American dream to other countries. These other countries in what we call the third world are aiming to live in the, in the standard that we do. Because we measure, we measure the success of our economy by our gross domestic product. And we th so that means we need to produce more and more to measure our success. 
And it doesn't mean that we produce more good things. We just produce more, more pollution, more consumption. That's how we measure our growth. So all of our decisions that we make as a country are, are designed to get this number to grow without thinking about the consequences, without thinking about if it is sustainable. And where does that leave us as, as people and as a society? We are, we are overworked, underpaid, isolated, unhappy, and unhealthy. And in that race for more, we have lost touch with nature. We have forgotten our spiritual selves. We have lost that connect. And corporations have gotten away with poisoning us. And it takes us years and years to really figure out the consequences of, of the things that they have done. And even today, they continue to mock us with their power. The CEO of Nestle said, access to water should not be a public right. And they continue to bottle water that, that creates all of this pollution. They continue to bottle water in California during a drought. They continue to tap this natural resource and make us pay money so that they can earn a profit. Whereas the wisdom of indigenous folks for, cent for centuries has always proclaimed that water is sacred. How far away are the capitalists from this point of view? So moving on to three really important numbers in the climate change world, and we talked briefly about the first one, the two degrees Celsius, which you've probably heard. And once again, this is a Western capitalistic number because it was agreed upon by, by Western nations. A lot of nations in the global south and island nations did not agree to this number. But so this is the number that a large majority of the countries have agreed that two degrees Celsius of warming is where we must stop our uh, increase in global temperature. If we go beyond that, this planet is not habitable for white people. Um, the second number is 565 gigatons of carbon. This is how much, carbon, how much more carbon we can safely put in the atmosphere to stay below that two degrees of warming. And so at the current rate, we will hit this number in about 15 years. Um, but this is, this is as much carbon as we can safely burn by mid-century. And the final number, 2,795 gigatons of carbon. This is the carbon already contained in the reserves of the fossil fuel companies. This is how much carbon, which is five times more than the amount we can burn. This is how much the fossil fuel companies are planning on burning because this is what their stock market value is dependent. This is what their stock market value is based on. This is what nations are already budgeting on. This is what we are trading on. So this is, so for Shell and Exxon, this is as much carbon as we are going to burn. It is not compatible with a sustainable planet. And looking back, Exxon knew 30 years ago, Exxon's scientists had enough evidence to know where we would be today. This recently came out to public knowledge, and we don't know how many other fossil fuel companies knew, but Exxon knew. And if they had, if they had revealed to the public, we would may, may have not been where we are today. Just 90 companies in the world have caused two-thirds of the man-made global warming emissions. 
this is the company, these are the corporations with 1%. And are they done? Are they done with all the lies and deceiving? Nope. They are now planning, they have now proposed this deal which goes under as a fair trade deal. But really, out of the 29 chapters, only five of the chapters are about trade. The rest of them are going to are uh, will give corporations power, more power than our governments, more power than our local governments, and take away a whole bunch of our freedoms, take away our environment, take away our rights for safe food. I really ask that everybody read up about this and be aware of the TPP and do what you can to stop it. And so they offer us solutions. They offer us, corporations have offered a bunch of solutions in the past. And we call them false solutions because they do not, they do not take in mind um, the impact on marginalized people of color. Cap and trade is one such solution. Revenue neutral solutions like carbon war are also false solutions because they, they if, you, if you read the fine print, they give corporations through loopholes many ways to continue profit um, at the cost of our future. And really, the solutions we're looking for are people solutions. Um, just transition is a term that we use in climate justice organizations. This is a framework for a fair and sustainable shift to new carbon economy. It is a transition that delivers shared prosperity, good family-supported jobs, and support for people who bear the brunt of climate impact. So look up Just Transition. It is really something to, be, to read up on. So I'm going to talk about the prison industrial complex, a term coined by Angela Davis, a civil rights activist and prison abolitionist. To quote her on the definition, imprisonment has become the response of first resort to far too many of the social problems that burden people in poverty. These problems often are veiled by convenient conveniently grouped together under the category crime and by the automatic attribution of criminal behavior to people of color. Homelessness, sorry, uh, homelessness, unemployment, drug addiction, mental illness, and illiteracy are only a few of the problems that disappear from the public view when human beings contending with them are relegated to cages. Or, in other words, the prison industrial complex is a system um, where prisons have been made into a profiteering institution by systematically increasing their populations to benefit from slave labor. The U.S. has 5% of the world's population, yet it contains 25% of the world's prison labor, as well as 25% of the world's pollution. The U.S. has more prisoners and pollution than anywhere else in the world. One in three Americans now have a criminal record. But it did not always used to be like this. The total incarcerated population in the U.S. is 2.4 million. That's a 500% increase over the past 30 years. So um, this... Uh, this graph right here, it shows the correlations between the policies and prison populations. And you can begin to see how the trigger starts with the war on drugs is when people, the age of mass incarceration begun. 
But in order to understand this, we have to uh, go back to where it started. The prison industrial system started at the end of slavery. Now, we've all been told that the 13th Amendment abolished slavery. It did with one exception, criminals. Given that loophole, vacancy laws and loitering laws were created, which criminalized not having a job or loitering. Newly freed black people that were found standing around on a block with friends could be arrested arbitrarily, making them slaves again. This was black codes. Through convict leasing, prisoners were rented out, and the free slaves that were arrested could be rented out back to the plantations that they were freed from. Convict leasing was also used to rent out convicts for coal mines, one of the leading causes of climate change causing pollution. Least incarcerated deaths in the coal mines were 10 times higher than the non-incarcerated mine workers. Prison labor is the only legal form of slavery in the United States, thanks to the 13th Amendment. And since the abolition of slavery, prisons have held a disproportionate amount of black people. There are now more black people in prison than there were slaves in the 19th century. Nixon was the first to declare a war on drugs, which was really turned into a war on people of color. You see, Nixon received political power by the people by putting forth propaganda about drug lords and crime, despite the fact that crime rates at the time were actually going down. He also listed marijuana as a Schedule I drug, meaning it, was, it has no medical or research potential, and if caught with it, you are sentenced harsher than cocaine or heroin. Heroin is a Schedule II drug. Alcohol is a Schedule III drug, yet alcohol kills more people than all the drugs combined. But who uses alcohol most? White men. Reagan passed the Anti-Drug Abuse Act in 1986, which created mandatory minimums and sentenced people found with one gram of crack a hundred times worse than cocaine. And the only difference between crack and cocaine, beside a little baking soda, is who's using it and where it's found, with crack being a rich white drug and, I mean, cocaine being a rich white drug and crack a poor black drug. This happened during the Nicaragua-Iran-Contra, where the government assisted or turned a blind eye to the drug cartels in Nicaragua who were smuggling cocaine into America via drug lords in the inner city. These laws and others after it created this system that is now the prison industrial complex. The ending result is our disproportionate prison statistics that we have today where one in three black men are in jail and also contributes to the $2 billion economy, which is the prison system. The prison system has become a debtor system. 24 states in this country, including Washington State, are legally allowed to charge for room and board and other fees to rack up while you're in jail. And when you get out, you're burdened with a load of debt you earned with interest while in jail. And your punishment isn't over when your sentence is over. Thanks to laws passed by Bill Clinton, if you have a felony, especially a drug offense, they do not allow you to have financial aid, public housing assistance, public food assistance, and public health assistance. And a criminal record is the only thing that they can legally discriminate against you in, an, in unemployment 
or employment and housing. So it's no, no wondering why recidivism or reoffense rates in this country is around 77% after five years out of prison. On top of this, many prisons are cutting their educational programs. On top of the fact that prisons are banning certain empowering and self-improvement books, like 44 Laws of Power and other books by Robert Greene, are banned, further stratifying prisoners from help. But there is help. Community-based organizations that offer programs for newly uh, released prisoners lower chances by as much as 50% from them returning. These types of groups and other support systems are essential for detangling and dismantling the prison industrial system. That was Sarah Takola and Afrin Supariwara. They're both activists with Women of Colour Speak Out. And for more information about Women of Colour Speak Out, check out their website, walkspeakout.com. The site features more of their speeches and videos of workshops that they run. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.